how many of you are dealing with the winter blahs? Cabin fever? You're like, winter could have been done six weeks ago and it had been too late. Uh, other, others of us, I think, try to find survival strategies for how we get through this stretch of called January and February. For some people, their category is called purgatory. Some of them is torment. Other people are like, hey, it's awesome. I love winter. And, and, um, and, and others of us are like, not so sure. I'm just trying to, trying to survive. And we have different ways of surviving, don't we? Some of us take vitamin D so that we can get what we need uh, and that the sun isn't offering. Uh, some of us just try to find ways to activate our attention in a way that keeps it off the topic at hand. Some like to do shenanigans. And I didn't realize that um, shenanigans tend to overlap into uh, my own private world. Uh, many of you know that I, the one thing that I, I love summer in every way except for one adversary, praying mantises. And I had just got done working out uh, the other day, and my, my wife walks in and she said, you must have seen the praying mantis that was up on your Norda track. And she's sitting there holding it in her hand. I'm like, just get that thing away from me. But I noticed that it was broken in two, sadly. So it wasn't working anymore. I don't know where your position is on these things, but mine clearly is against it. It would have gotten a no vote for me if God was saying, all right, we're going to make this. And I'd be like, bad idea. Um, but I'm just having problems today, people. Um, Okay, and, and so she's, she's holding this thing, and she said, you didn't see it? And I'm like, no, I didn't see it. But I can tell by the t- telltale mark on that thing that Nigel did. Now, Nigel's my dog. He's truly man's best friend. And here I thought I could trust my wife. Because she just had guilt all over her face. And she's trying to pull these shenanigans on me. And I'm like, wow, this redefines who's trustworthy in this equation and who's not. And I just looked at Nigel and I'm like, buddy, you're my hero. And I know he would take a bullet for me. My wife, I'm not so sure. I'm a little, I'm a little concerned. But if you look at just the people within your own circle and you have trustworthiness issues there, how is it whenever we look at people outside of that circle? I mean, look at it this way. Anybody ever work in food service as a waiter or a waitress? Anybody ever have to go through a stint like that? Or you know somebody? Just imagine you had a family member and... Uh, could be your cousin or your daughter or uh, you know your mother or somebody and they worked in a restaurant and you saw that as they're working through um, the, the waiting on tables and things that they're uh, given a responsibility for their area, uh, you notice that they're in short supply of cooks and not only that, um, one of the wait- waitresses called in and so you see them stressed out because the the, the circumstances in all their busyness are causing them to overfunction, and they're not able to get all the food where it needs to be on time, including yours. And so this relative of yours, whom you love, is not offering the kind of service that you would normally expect. And what's your response? Is it, 
you better step up your game or we're leaving. Or is it, no, that's my, that's my daughter. She's struggling. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I know she's having a hard time. I understand the whole backdrop of her experience, and it's going to be a rough day for her. The last thing she needs for us to do is pile on. So instead of giving her a 20% tip, we'll, we'll still be generous and give her a 15 Or maybe you're thinking, no, I'm just not even going to worry about that. I'm still going to give a tip because I know that they're having a difficult time. Would you do that? Honestly, would you have that kind of a spirit towards it? I'm confident that you would. But here's the question. What if it wasn't your daughter and you showed up at your favorite dining establishment and the waitress was not timely in getting around to your order? And then after the order was taken, it took a a considerably long time for you to get it. 30 minutes. And what are you thinking? Well, the tipometer is starting to work, isn't it? Only it's working backwards. You're going from 20 to 15. Minutes are ticking. You're looking at your watch. Five, zero. You're looking at your watch. Negative five, they owe you now because you have, they have taken your time. Negative 10. And all of a sudden, you're just thinking very punitive thoughts about this person. What is the difference? Between one person and the other. The relationship. You're going to treat those people within your relational world differently, won't you? And that is kind of the rub here in all of this, is that we have that tendency, don't we? Uh, my, my son is uh, doing debate. That's his, uh, that's his thing. And, and part of me says that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because he's getting good at it. Which means he's arguing, and arguing well. And I'm not, I'm not finding myself as good at it. But the thing I enjoy about the experience is I, I'm called to be a, a judge to help out. And as I do that, I, I, get to, I get to interact with different schools, Liberty, Hubbard, you know, Niles, Warren, Canfield, Poland, all over Salem. Um, and, man, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I should be better at doing this. I've only been doing it forever. Um, and as I'm interacting, I'm, I'm looking at all of these people at these gatherings, kids from different schools, parents from different schools, and when I walk in, what do you think the first thing I do when I walk in to the school building that's hosting the event? What am I looking for? Looking for my son, and then, and then if he's off doing his thing, what else am I looking for? Somebody I know, right? So I can start a conversation. Don't you ever do that? Walk into a gathering of people that you don't know and you're thinking, where is that one person? Why do we do that? Why do we find that we have to, we have to see a familiar face before we can engage other people? What is it about that? At least that's the way I am. And if I can't, then I'll try to find somebody who has something in common and engage them in conversation and if I can't find that, I just, you know, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not going to connect with anybody here. Have you ever been in a place that the room is absolutely brimming with people? You don't know anybody, and people are really acting like you're not even there? Isn't that the loneliest feeling? What is your gut telling you? I can't find the door fast enough, right? 
There's a part of us that just wants to run. And it's just a given fact that we have something called a moral circle, which means that our own kind, our own kin, reside within this, this parameter. And we're kind to our own kin, our own kind. It's where the word actually comes from. But the people outside of that circle, it's different. I want to just show you a picture of what that looks like real quickly. Um, just simply that. Friends, family, people that are, are like us. And one of the reasons why people come to church is they're looking, I think, for a way to connect with a group of people, perhaps who have the same things happening in, in their lives, in a way that you can take that deep spiritual layer of your life that has God in it and share that relational experience with other people. I mean, am I, am I wrong? And I think a lot of us have found that, but others haven't. And many times when they don't find it, they remain feeling left out of that circle. The problem is, because we're that way, we tend to kind of push people away that aren't like us. There's another little high-end work of art that I want to show you of a, a couple of people talking about another person walking in a church door. And uh, this is how it goes. I would say these are probably maybe millennials. And they're saying, isn't that Jonesy? Yeah, looking for love in all the wrong places. And notice it's a church. Now why is it that people have developed an attitude about churches when it comes to love in a way that's overwhelmingly negative? It's partly because, well, it, it is probably the crisis of the moment for the church, I think. A lot of people who didn't grow up in the church have been led to believe that the church is a place where people judge you. People will scrutinize your life. They might accept you for a little bit, but if you don't meet their bar of expectation, they'll find ways to nudge you out. And people have done surveys of, of, of modern atheists, and many of them will tell you that the reason why that they're atheists is because the version of God that they found in churches that judged them and in a way nudged them out was a God that they could not believe in. And so their only recourse was to say, I got to be an atheist. And that's kind of an extreme response, but there are a lot of people sitting in their homes right now in Salem, Ohio, who have said, I believe in God, don't get me wrong, but I went to church and guess what? They, well, they didn't include me. They didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't penetrate their moral circle. Now, they may not have the language or the vocabulary to say that, but I think we've all been in those situations, haven't we, where you just couldn't fit in. It was kind of like a click. But did you know that Jesus wired into this whole thing things that would keep that from happening? And how he did that was he formed a community on the basis of the four things we've been talking about. It's the foundation for who we are. And it's found in the book of Acts chapter 2. If you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, we've looked at these, at these verses. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verses 42. Uh, the church gathers. And this is the first time. It's getting off the ground. Jesus has done his thing. He's died on the cross. Father has pulled him up out of the grave. And now it's a new era. It's a change of season for everyone, but not everyone knows that. Paul even said in 2 Corinthians 5, it is the turning of the ages. There is a rewiring of how we relate to each other. 
Now, where am I going with that? First of all, when people followed Jesus and they gathered, they started hearing the word of God. And they started learning and they started understanding that the face of God that they wondered about, that maybe drew them to church in the first place, the face of God that they could not quite give definition to, was seen in the face of Jesus. And when they realized that God had humbled himself in that way and then portrayed himself in that persona, it was attractive because they're like, that is a God I can relate to. And many of them from all over the world were gathered um, 40 days after Jesus went up to be with the Father in a, in, a little, in a little alcove on the side of the temple. And as they gathered, they just started celebrating what happened. And more and more people kept hearing, more and more people getting included. But as they met, they did something that defined their new culture. And that was they heard the word, how all the promises of God were fulfilled in Jesus they heard the word that when people met together, they had this thing called koinonia, where they didn't just gather as a group and say, hi, you know, it's a great social function, but they started watching out for each other. person has, um, you know, they can't meet their grocery bill, and another person says, I'll be glad to help you out with that. person says, you know, I need, um, I need some money to travel, and another person will help them out with that. Person says, I've got a medical problem. Could you, could you gather around me and pray for me? And on and on it went. And it just seemed like every need that cropped up, these people said, you know what, I don't care what part of the world you're from. You're here, we're here, we're here in the name of Jesus, and we're going to start functioning in a way that says we love each other with all of our heart, like we love God. And then as we meet and we're thinking about who we are, we do something critical. Now, you can gather whenever tragic events happen. And oftentimes, when they happen, churches fill. Example would be 9-11, and, and, and then all of a sudden it kind of tapers off. Because in the middle of some big crisis or some tragedy, there's a longing to be around other people. Oftentimes, people who are even different than us because at the root level, there's a sense that we are a shared humanity. And they gather, they gather in churches, and they gather, and they, they start talking to each other when they wouldn't otherwise. And the people who gather in the name of Christ, they break bread and they say, yeah, the greatest tragedy of all has happened, and it is the fact that Jesus came as the face of God. He lived a life of compassion. He called out people that were unjust, and he did everything that a perfect human being would do in a spirit and attitude that was perfect for that, that role. I apologize for this. Brian's got to fine-tune my ear when we get done. Um, probably an implant or something. But as they were gathering, they said, there's one big tragic event that ended up being the best event of all, and that is Jesus came and died for us because at the end of the day, no matter how much we project perfection to each other, none of us, none of us really got it all together. But when I see that bloodstained cross, I know that there is a place where I find acceptance because we all share that same common need for God's grace. And when God assembles us, he says, come one, come all, come everybody, because my moral circle is a lot larger than what you're used to. And the picture looks something like this. Uh, as you think about Jesus' moral circle, uh, just go ahead and show that picture. He's expanded the boundary of it to include the whole world. 
You know any scriptures that talk about God loving the whole world? And when he says he loves the whole world, it means he accepts the whole world. Probably the biggest barrier, believe it or not, is us accepting him. And the biggest barrier for people accepting him, you know what I think it is? Is people showing what it means to live a life that says, he's in us. And so when Jesus expands that moral circle, he also shows us how to make it work. And the next illustration, I think, is a good one to have in your mind as well. Because if the idea of the moral circle is true, and I think it is, it's this. He's right there on the edge. And you know what he's saying? I love the people on the inside. I love the people on the outside. And if you were to look at the boundary marker, I actually wouldn't want it to be a line, a barrier, a wall. I want it to be a heart that says, yeah, it's just a threshold that enables us to experience the quality insider, outsider. It's not really even about that. It's just about the fact that we come to gather in the name of Jesus. Now, if a person asked you who you were, what would you say? Would you say, I'm American? What would be the first word out of your mouth? Would it be, I'm, I'm a Moor? I'm, in my case, I'm a white person. In the case of being from Illinois, I'm an Illinoisan. I don't really say that very often. What would your first category be when somebody asks you, who are you? Would it be follower of Jesus? I hope it is, because the whole idea that Paul had in mind as he was writing about this experience was that people would begin to see that things have truly changed. Now, there are categories that we have for people. We all hear them. We hear them every day. There are racial categories. There are gender categories. There are national categories. You hear them, don't you? And when you hear them, what does it create? A lot of times an us versus them, right? Those people versus us. I'm a, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal or I'm a progressive and, and, and I'm, you know, or a Republican. You know, just use your word. And what reinforces it sometimes is as wonderful as social media is, as a platform to connect with people that you can't physically be present with. One of the downsides is, is a response that we have when we see a person. Our question may be, what's their category? Where are they coming from? And because we can't have a face-to-face conversation, we just kind of leave them there, don't we? But what God did through Jesus was create a new community. That's really what this is all about. And he's calling us to say those categories that you have, they they do have value in certain ways, but they should no longer be your primary way of identifying yourself. Now what did the Apostle Paul do when he was trying to address this? Because one of the biggest problems that began to happen pretty quickly is that when people started meeting together, they started going back to those old definitions of who they were. And in uh, just a couple of chapters later in Acts, 
there's some Jewish widows, and then there's some Jewish widows who are from other parts of the world who are there, and the church is showing favoritism to one group over another. The very first pastoral problem that really came out in Scripture was the fact that people were starting to divide again. But God's vision for us is something different. It says that we are a new humanity. We're a new family. We have a blurred boundary marker when it comes to who's inside and who's out. Now here's the problem. When you walk into a place and you see familiar people, it's pretty easy, isn't it, to have a conversation with them. But what about those people that we don't know? What word do we use to describe them? What do you call people that you don't know? Strangers. Stranger from the word strange, right? Strange meaning maybe weirdo, maybe just sketchy, maybe suspect, maybe questionable, maybe a huge threat, possibly in all cases someone to avoid, right? I mean, be honest. Stranger doesn't have a very endearing quality, does it? Did you know in the Bible, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about in the very last chapter, be careful about entertaining strangers because guess what? That may just be God showing up to test you to see whether or not you're open to bringing other people into your world. And it's not whether or not you have the will, but sometimes whether or not you're equipped with the understanding of who you are. Because I think, as a pastor, if two things could be accomplished... It would go so well for people. And it is this. One is tuning into your new identity. Now when I came to the cross of Christ and I said I I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I was immersed in water. And I was brought into a new relationship. Basically delivered from a way of life that was a way of death. The family. And when I became part of that family, I had a new identity. But the problem was, for a long time, I just worried a lot about what people thought of me and my relative worth would be, do people approve of me or not approve of me? Do people accept me or do they not accept me? And I still kind of hung up on that identity issue until one day, God just sort of shook me and he said, you know what? People are going to like you and people are not going to like you. Get used to it. The important thing to know is I not only like you, I love you. And when we have that affirmation that our Heavenly Father looks at us and ascribes worth in that way, it changes, doesn't it? Matter of fact, it frees up a lot of bandwidth to say, I don't have to worry about what people think. Now, clearly, we want to behave in a way that is honorable, We don't have to worry about it anymore. And if we're not worrying about it, then guess what? We are free to love because we're not fixating on the relative value that the stock market of life is saying that you have today. We're just saying, in God's eyes, (laughs) it's highly valued. And I'm good with that. And you should be too. And if people would relax, in that knowledge, oh, what a different world it would be. And that's identity. And then the other one is security. 
And one of the reasons we don't like strangers is because they're a threat to our well-being. And, and that certainly is something that we have to factor in. But where does your real security come from? Is it from you saying, I believe in God, but I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I feel secure and I don't have to face scarcity and all of those things? Well, no question, we do have to work. But here's the little secret about being one of God's children. Any of you have kids? If you do, do you pay attention to your kids at all or you just say, they're gone, who cares? Or you're like, have the stalker app on your phone, wonder where they're, what they're doing there. I'm not stalking you, I'm just concerned about your well-being. Or you're calling them every day. What, what, why do you do that? Because you care. Now God doesn't need all that tech. He's already got it down in ways that we can't even imagine. Every day he's saying, they don't realize it, but I'm keeping them. I'm keeping them secure. You ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? We, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's a huge discipleship statement that underscores something that I think we forget. Every day, God provides. He does. Any, any persons in here that been in the faith for a long time, am I wrong when I say that these things are true? One is, this too shall pass. And secondly, God seems to always have a way. It takes us a long time to settle into that. But once you're aware that you are safe in God and that he will help you along the way and you're aware of who you are as a person, well, believe it or not, you can begin to break down that moral circle and begin to characterize your posture towards other people as hearts, as that same way of loving other people. Paul had an issue at a church that had a very strong leader, a guy that spent a long time with Jesus and really was in his inner circle, if you could say that Jesus had one. Name was Cephas. He changed it to Peter. And Paul saw Peter doing something that said, you're falling back into those old categories, aren't you? Didn't you get anything from the gospel? That we're a new people now? And here's what happened. In Galatians chapter um, 2, verses 11 through 13, Paul calls him out. He says, I know you're a brother. And I know, you know, hey, we're not besties, but we're working together for the same cause. And we have huge respect for each other. And you're doing something that is disturbing. So in Galatians chapter uh, 2, verses 11 through 13, it says, when, when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men, he came from James, and he was eating with Gentiles. But when some Jews came, he went and sat at their lunch table with them, and then became... Uh, and, and cast aspersions on the people at the other lunch table. Um, and the rest of the Jews started acting the same way, following in suit. And so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. What was the hypocrisy? It was the fact that 
It was a new age for all of humanity and the gospel was here to tell us that we now have a new place by which we begin to approach God and that is a common humanity made in God's image that the old categories are beginning to dissolve in a way that they no longer have that same power to make us opposed to people who aren't us. And Paul wrote in the next chapter, I want you to understand something. That as long as what Christ has done is in effect, we are a new humanity. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. In Colossians he expands the Scythians and barbarians and all of these other names that we know nothing about now geographically. And he's just saying this. They're all so used to finger pointing people that are different than them. But because those lines of differentiation aren't there anymore, because they're not strangers anymore, the cross of Christ has created the environment where a new humanity can begin. And it is a new humanity in Christ called the family of God. When people come into our church, they're going to ask the question, do they really believe that? Is the warmth that they're showing in the hospitality, is it just sort of a put on or an act? Or is there something about who they are that says they're different? And I hope, at least in, my, in the responsibility I have for my own being, Leonard, that you find that we are different. And I know there are other people in this room who would say, yeah, we, we are different. We're not here to judge you. The very first thing that Jesus did wasn't size up a person and say, okay, leper, I know I can't get too close to you. Okay, uh, woman who's been caught in adultery, I can't get too close to you. Okay, people that have violated the law, I can't get too close to you. You know what Jesus did? He went up to him, and the first thing that he did was he loved on him. And the people are like, uh-uh. You're not supposed to do that, Jesus. It's judge first, and then when they step it up, you can love them then. And Jesus is like, no, that's been the whole problem the whole time. That's not working. Because the fact of the matter is, it's all broken. (laughs) You're broken, it's broken, everything's broken. You should just own it. And then, you know, he didn't say, okay, just do whatever you want to do. You know, one person said, go and sin no more. But he wasn't like saying that's the main thing. And the reason why he said go and sin no more, it wasn't like, okay, now I want to show you that you, you can't watch R-rated movies now. What he's saying is there's a new vision for a new way of life. And that stuff is just old way stuff that just is a ball and chain. And it'll just keep you hung up. And it'll keep you from realizing who you truly are. What your identity is telling you who you are. And if Paul's writing that to show us, and he has to call out even a very highly qualified religious teacher, chances are we all have issues here. And the one thing that I think that helps more than anything is to be in community with other people. Now, in our case at ground level, we have Sunday school classes, and people do koinonia there. They care for one another. They pray for one another. They minister to one another. They do things that say, we got your back and we accept you. We're doing, today we are launching um, our group link right after this service. And it is another pathway that we've created for you to get involved in community. And chances are there may be some strangers there. 
But I want to assure you that this environment hopefully is a place where you feel the hospitality of God through the lives of the people there. And as we've done our classes and as we've done these community groups, one thing I've found is that people will say, after being in there for a little bit, we were, now, we were saying that the thing that you hear people say a lot right now, people were saying, me too. I can't believe that you went through that. Me too. That's been going on for a long time. It's always good when people say, I've got someone else to identify with in my struggle. And what we're trying to do is create a community that says, we're here to support you so that you can become that new person in Christ together. And so I I just am going to conclude this message because I've gone kind of long with a a couple that have gone through one of our our groups and um, this has been their experience. And then after that, I'm going to shut it down. Go ahead and watch if you can um, our our group link video. We're here tonight to, or today, to share a little bit with you about community groups. And as we start the community groups, and a lot of us have been doing them for quite some time now, I think it's important that you all understand that these are not like the community groups or small groups that we talked about years ago um, within our congregation. Um, Small groups are more of a study, whereas with these community groups, we're intent on building relationships and we, and we get to know people and we get to spend time with people and we get to learn about those people and care for them. I think for us, we we signed up to, to lead or facilitate a group. Um, it's really been good for us because the people that are in our group are from the bridge service and we are traditions people so we've gotten to know several younger couples we are the oldest couple in our group most mature also most mature it's really been good for us to um, meet people in the church that we wouldn't normally have met because we go to different services Um, I hope that we bring them some of what We've learned as a married couple for 40 years, and we have certainly learned a lot from them as younger couples. So um, we've really enjoyed it. I think for me, I wanted something more than just Sunday. I wanted to have something to meet, to learn with people in the middle of the week so that I had something not just every Sunday to come to. I will admit that I came into the group uh, a little bit being pushed, if you will, but after the uh, first three to four weeks of, of, of our study, and then more importantly though, just our sharing together and, and being able to talk and, and spend some time socializing and again, getting to know the, the rest of the people in the group, um, I've really become a believer in the fact that um, we need other people. We cannot survive simply by coming to church on Sunday morning and listening to the sermon and walking out. We need other people and we need to be able to um, care about other people and do things for them to be a total Christian. And I think for us one of the things we did learn is that church is more than just Sunday. 
and being meeting with a group of believers through the week has helped us to be more involved in church activities outside of just Sunday. We began our group uh, when the first group kicked off back in July, and it was very clear once we got to near the end of the first group, uh, before the last session, our people were talking, and all we could talk about is, what are we going to do next? You know, what's the next thing we're going to study? What's the next thing we're going to talk about? We're not done, are we? And it was clear that we, we have began to establish a bond that went beyond the group. We, we were more uh, becoming friends and, and, and understanding what each other cared about and wanting to take care of each other. And from the first study, we went into a second study. And then we began a third study. Uh, we just finished uh, a, a friends giving dinner, if you will, with our group. We have become close in the fact that we don't need to, to quote, talk about church when we're together because what we do when we're together is about Christ. Today you're going to have the opportunity uh, after the bridge service to sign up for our long-term groups. And some of you may look at the 18 to 24 months and it may bother you thinking, man, this is a long time. I don't know if I can make it every night. You know, things are going to come up. Um, yes, they are. That's life. Um, that's the same thing that we experienced in the short-term group was, you know, some people would be sick. Sometimes the kids would have things that you'd have to go do. Or sometimes, you know, it just didn't fit into the schedule. Um, as you you look to the 18 to 24 months, the scheduling uh, will be very flexible in that you may meet a couple weeks a month, you may meet every week for six weeks, you and your group will decide what you want to do. Uh, you may decide that June and July, everybody's going to be on vacation. Let's try to get together and have a picnic or a little bit of a social event for families, and then we go back to our, our, our group studies, if you will, later on in the fall. Um, there is no cast in stone scheduling. It's a flexible thing that depends upon your lifestyle, your group's lifestyle. The important part of the whole thing, though, boils down to the fact that you will begin to build relationships which will be meaningful in your life and which will give you more meaning yourself in your life. Just to kind of give you some ground level directives, following this service, um, if you're interested in being a part of that experience uh, this year, uh, we encourage you to do so. We want to create um, a, a good path for you to do that. Uh, the response could be just to go right outside the worship center and then on down the steps and then on over to the fellowship hall. Uh, everyone is welcome. Uh, if you're not in a group and you want to experience that, we encourage you to uh, follow God's nudging on that because chances are um, he's, he's created us for a community. So chances so the good possibility is that he's um, directing you in that way. But however it is that he's directing you, uh, I hope you understand our intent here. It's to try to create an environment where the hearts of the people show the hospitality of God. And then when we have little groups that meet, the whole design is to be premised on that same hospitality, that same love, and to just expand that moral circle however God wants. So if you're apprehensive um, and you're concerned about strangers, don't be worried. I think you'll find that God will change that apprehension very quickly. So just invite you to be a part of it. If at the end of the, the message um, you're saying my primary concern here is just knowing Jesus and I want to help you with that. And we have uh, some elders here. Let's see who do we have here that are elders. 
anybody, Rich, Rich, uh, Chris, um, Sean, um, we'd be happy to talk to you about the Lord in any way that you need. Uh, regardless, we just want to make sure that if God is leading you into a conversation that you need to have with us about anything, that's why we're here. And so, um, however it is that God is working, let him work. And uh, the adventure will begin when you do.